This week we enter the Lenten season. Uh, It's the period of 40 days of devotional preparation before Easter. Uh, The name Lent, if you've ever wondered why is it called Lent, that's the stuff you dig out of the dryer. Um, The reason, it comes from an old English word, lectin, which means springtime. And that's when we celebrate this devotional time, so it makes sense. Uh, Lent is not something we typically talk about uh, here. Um, We are considered a uh, Protestant, low church context, Protestant in that we're not Catholic, low church meaning that we're not big into the, the symbolism and the rituals that you often find in some other churches. If it's more liturgical and very ornate, that tends to be called high church. Uh, that was originally meant to be derogatory, that, that we were low church, we were the uncivilized heathens of the church world, but um, uh, I think we're okay with that. Um, uh, now, um, Lent has a deep history that is incredibly ancient. Um, it goes far, far back beyond the time when church started, churches started splitting into denominations on all of that. Um, it has roots that go thousands of years back. Um, it's, uh, it's not really a clear answer as to where it came from or how it got started. You just kind of see it start popping up in the history books a little bit. Um, in its original form, I think around the, in the 4th century, um, for, it was 40 days of fasting during, between sunup and sundown, during the, the daylight hours. Um, so Christians for 40 days uh, leading up to Easter would skip breakfast, skip lunch, and have a late dinner after the sun had gone down. Um, in more modern times, uh, Lent... You probably think of it more as a time, you'll have, if you have Catholic friends or uh, friends that do this, they talk about something they've given up for Lent, uh, something that they are abstaining from during, sometimes it's chocolate, sometimes it's social media, it's usually something good. Um, if they pick something bad, that's just because they didn't really want to do Lent, and they picked like, I'm giving up broccoli for Lent. Okay, well, <laughs> easy, you know. Um, but uh, since Lent starts this week, uh, I thought it was probably a good time, an appropriate time to talk about this week's spiritual practice, which is going to be everyone's absolute favorite, uh, fasting. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I thought the, the response would be. Um, now, just so we're clear as we get into it, fasting at its essence is going without food. Okay? Uh, we'll get into a better definition of that as we get into this, but we just need to understand right from the outset that fasting is going without food for a certain period of time. Um, and you might even be thinking, wait, is that something Christians do? Like, do we do that? Because we don't talk about it. Um, again, it falls into one of the many spiritual practices that just kind of, for the most part, we've just kind of brushed off to the side and ignored uh, in modern days. Um, but for 2,000 Plus years, countless uh, devoted saints have regularly engaged in the spiritual practice of fasting. And before that, before the time of Jesus, there's who knows how many centuries of, of Jewish individuals and the Israelites partaking in regular fasting in their lives. Um, and until very recently in human history, and by very recently, I mean in the last 100, 200, 300 years, that's when it really took a nosedive in popularity, um, until recent hum- human history, um, it was a part of regular Christian practice. It was just considered a thing that Christians did. It was one of the defining characteristics of Christians. Um, John Wesley, uh, who was the man who started the Methodist church back in the 1700s, here's what he said about fasting. And I love it. It's really snarky, and it kind of it tickles me. Uh, he wrote, I fear that there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, meaning 
they don't count because they don't do what, we think that, what I think they should do. And I guess he started Methodist Church, so I guess he would be able to one to talk about it. So I fear that now there are thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and in Ireland, who follow the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from tw- fasting twice a week that they do not fast twice a month. The man who never fasts has no more in the way to heaven than the man who never prays. Now, I'm not saying that all that I agree with everything in that. Um, I appreciate the sarcasm, though. Um, but I, but you, I read that as one of the many examples that exist of Christians who not that long ago saw fasting as something that was supposed to be a regular part of our walk with Jesus. Um, even Jesus talked about fasting. And the way he talked about it, I think, is kind of surprising because I'm going to read a little bit out of the Sermon on the Mount. And... I'm just going to read a tiny few verses to start, and then we'll get into it a little bit more later. But there's something you can miss as you start reading through the rest of this passage. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, not if you fast. I don't know how many times I've read that over my lifetime. A few. And I don't know if I've ever caught that, that distinct difference. If, meaning maybe you will, maybe you won't. When being, it's an inevitability. And so Jesus, when you fasted, he assumed that his audience was regularly fasting. He didn't have to tell them to do it. There's no command to do it because he just assumed that the people he was talking to in his most famous sermon ever already fasted, already understood why they did it, and already saw the importance of it. And so Jesus assumed that going forward, many of his followers, if not all of his followers, would be people who fasted. Now, if you have missed uh, the last many weeks, we have been in a teaching series where we have been talking about spiritual practices. These are activities or exercises that help to shape us as human beings into being more of the people that God wants us to be. They shape and they form us into being like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to show kindness like Jesus, to be outgoing like Jesus, to be less selfish like Jesus. These are activities, exercises, practices, disciplines, whatever you want to call them, the purpose of them is to form us into being the kinds of people God wanted us to be. Now, last week we talked about confessing our sins to one another, which is another spiritual practice that we've completely ignored in the Protestant churches, Um, and fasting just kind of seems to be right there with it. Like, we just don't really do it. Um, It's something that we ignore, um, and I think the main reason is what other of these things have I talked about go so against the grain of our culture? Um, we live in a moment in history where few things are worshipped like eating. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, just start counting the number of ads you see for food. Count the number of commercials you see for some new burger, um, billboards you see, social media posts you see, um, look at how many, when you're scrolling through like TikTok or Instagram, how many little things for um, recipes or diet tips and tricks. Pay attention to all of that stuff. Start counting. I guarantee you, you'll lose count real quick. It's such a huge part of our life. So much so that I would guarantee that every year when McDonald's bring the, brings the McRib back, I bet about 80% of us know about it. 
Probably more than that, but I thought 80% might be a safe bet. But God, why? We're just inundated with this stuff. We get food ads all the time. We don't think anything of it. It's constant. It's every single day. And we also live in an, un, in an age where we have unprecedented access to food. Unprecedented access to food. And not just, we what? Yeah, they'll deliver. Yeah, you don't have to go get it. They'll bring it. They'll bring food right to your doorstep. They won't even, and you don't even have to talk to anybody. Boy, it's an introvert's dream. I don't have to leave my house, and food just magically shows up, and I don't have to talk to a stranger. What a wonderful thing, right? And, and what's interesting, we don't just have access to food. We have access to really good food, right? Like, we have good food. Um, whether you, it's you, you know, getting a horseshoe at your favorite place, um, eating at one of the many like taco joints that Springfield seems to have lately, or taco trucks, whatever it might be, um, drowning your chicken in your favorite Chick-fil-A sauce, whatever it is, or maybe it's just something as simple as digging into a huge bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Wow. Um, um, it's so good. Um, so I'm not saying we have to spend a lot of money. We have good food at all price points, right? And, and so not only do we eat every day, we eat good, a lot of us, right? Um, and then there's another expression of, that, that kind of shows how you know, obsessed we are with food, and that's, that's the, uh, the obsession with whatever diet trend of the day is. This is a, uh, I can't tell you how many ads I see on social media um, for this recipe or this way of eating, or maybe it's a supplement, this powder, this pill, this thing that will make all your dreams come true. You'll lose all the weight. You'll get ripped. Your hair will grow back. It's all the promises all rolled up into one, right? And the, the, rather than just being on a, a, um, a push for what to eat uh, or, or just a push to eat, it's, it's a push of eating the right things, which I'm not saying is bad. All I'm saying is it's evidence that we love food. We think about it all the time, uh, that, that it's, we're always talking about it, we're always thinking about it, there's always visuals in front of us, and man, I got to say, that messaging, it really, really works, and so we now live in a time and a place where most of us have never known real hunger. Like, I understand some of you, you grew up in a little bit different time when maybe your parents, you didn't have a lot, and they didn't deliver food magically to your front door, um, and maybe you, some of you have known hunger, but times have mostly changed, and now there's even social programs that'll help people so to prevent um, hunger and things like that. And so, for the most part, a lot of us in this room, we've never known real hunger. And because of that, we are so spoiled. Our bodies are spoiled. We, um, when we don't eat when we're supposed to at our normal designated times, we get a little grumpy. We start throwing little temper tantrums. I'm mad because I didn't get to eat. Or maybe you ate an hour late. You start to get uh, angry and huffy. And, and then we've even invented a word for that these last like, probably 10 years. What's the word? Hangry. I'm hangry. I'm hungry, angry. And so we just now use that as like a scapegoat for being grumpy. I didn't eat so I can be rude to everybody, mean to everybody. And then once I eat something and my blood sugar gets back to normal, we go, hmm, sorry, got a little hungry. Oops. You know, and we just kind of make up for it. But we have this thing now where we are just obsessed with food, but because we always have food, and everybody has food, and it's everywhere, we don't think about it that maybe, maybe there's something off about this. Maybe the fact that we can't handle even a moment without food is, is a problem a little bit for us. And so to fast for anything other than a medical procedure is pretty much unheard of. And Anytime, 
Anytime you go to the doctor and they tell you you got to have a test, but you can't eat after midnight, and you're like, what time are we getting here? Am I showing up at 5 a.m.? Like, how early can I get here, doc? Because I don't want to stretch this fast out any longer than I have to. And so, unfortunately, though, even though it was a regular part of the Christian lifestyle until not too long ago, we've just kind of erased fasting from the Christian lifestyle. And it's so far off our radar that even to suggest it sounds absolutely bonkers. I heard another minister talk about doing a sermon series on fasting, and before the sermon series, uh, he put a, like a midweek post on social media saying, hey, we're going to be talking about fasting and what the church, how the church can, should fast, and he started looking at the comments, and one person wrote in the comments, is this a cult? Because that's what cults do. His response was, yes, this is a cult, so if you're new, pass up your debit card and the Kool-Aid's in the back, which I thought was a... <laughs> A pretty good way to handle it. Um, again, I appreciate the sarcasm. But, um, but what's interesting is that we live in this culture of excess and luxury and abundance, and we sp- have spent our entire lives saying yes to our desires, especially the desires of our bodies. And it doesn't even make sense to most people that we would even consider ever saying no to ourselves. So let's talk a little bit about what fasting is and why we do it. Uh, but first off, I think it's a little bit helpful to talk about what it isn't, because there are some uh, bigger ideas that, that aren't as helpful. So we just want to, I'm just doing this for clarification so we know what fasting is. But what it is not is fasting is not abstaining from things. I mentioned how modern day uh, Lent practices mean giving up something, you know, could be social media, could be um, whatever, food, a certain food, right? That's not fasting. Historically speaking, fasting meant you did not eat. That's what it. Now, abstaining from stuff is not bad. There's also a long history of Christians doing that, but not eating chocolate for 40 days is not fasting. That's, I'm sorry, it's just not. You can spoil yourself in a lot of other ways. You can eat, again, cinnamon toast crunch, not chocolate, not great, right? So, still spoiling. Like, so there's a lot of ways. So, abstaining from things, not fasting. Fasting is also not a restricted diet. Um, how many of you have ever heard of a Daniel fast? A few. Not a lot, okay? But you'll, you, I've heard more and more about it in the last few years. In uh, the book of Daniel, there's a moment where Daniel refuses to eat the food of the Babylonian uh, royal court. And so he says, I'm only going to eat certain stuff. And he restricts his diet. And so people have taken those few verses in Daniel, and they've said for 30 days, I'm only going to eat vegetables and a few other things as well, and they call it a Daniel fast. The word fast is never used in Daniel. That's not technically a fast. Fasting, again, is always no food. So that doesn't quite count uh, as a fast. And then a fast is also not the latest diet or health fad. Um, As we're going to get into, the purpose of fasting is not our self, necessarily. It's not, I can't, if, if you start doing it for selfish reasons, like I've got my reunion coming up, so I'm going to fast, and then I get to check off Jesus points, and I hope I fit into that dress points. Like, like that doesn't, you can't, I don't think that's going to work. Um, as Jesus is going to sh- show here in just a minute, our motives matter when it comes to fasting. And anytime we try to turn those motives inward, things can get a little wonky. And so um, it kind of kills the purpose of fasting when we add our selfish motives. Now, if you, uh, if, you, if you do fast, there are health benefits. In fact, in modern, uh, a lot of more modern studies, like, really are starting to proclaim the health benefits of fasting and regular fasting, how good it is for your body and certain things your cells do when you fast. It's really kind of cool, um, and it's really kind of a flip from, you know, 
probably 50 years ago when people thought fasting was like a really unhealthy practice. And so it's kind of cool to see like, maybe God knew what he was doing. But again, we can't come at this from a, this is going to be good for my body, me selfishly kind of thing. We want to try to do this from the right perspective. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 16 and just kind of read through what Jesus has to say. He says, and when you do fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head. Now, they would put oil on their heads, very dry climate sometimes, very desert-like in parts of Israel. That, that was just like, put some product in your hair, do your hair nice, like look good. Don't like roll out of bed and just go into the world looking rough. This is his way of like, clean yourself up, get ready for the day. So anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in Jesus' day, there were these people who were fasting and using it as a way to kind of secretly yell at everybody, look how holy I am, look how loving I am for God and how obedient I am. I fast, and they would fast twice a week a lot, oftentimes, on I think Tuesdays and uh, Thursdays, and so he would say, look at me, look at how, f-. they would use this, and they would, said, I don't know what he meant by disfigure their faces, I don't know if they put like little bits of makeup on to make their cheeks look sunk in, or make their eyes look darker, but they'd mope around, and, oh, I'm so hungry, and they'd make a big show of their fasting, oh, I'm so in pain, did you hear my stomach, oh, it's because I'm fasting, and they wanted everybody to know, because they wanted people to be impressed with them, and Jesus says, if that's what you do, If you are seeking this earthly reward, well, you're going to get it, but that is all you're going to get. There is no benefit to fasting under those circumstances. Whatever you're going for is absolutely ruined, and the only reward you get is maybe a few people think, wow, look how good they are. What a good holy church person they might be. And so he wants us, he says, to get the motives right, that our, our purpose for fasting is not such a small earthly purpose, but we are trying to accomplish something between us and our heavenly Father. Now, what's really interesting is, again, Jesus doesn't really tell us a lot about fasting. He doesn't say how to do it, when to do it, how often to do it, none of that stuff. He was so caught up in making sure that we understood the, the motive is incredibly, incredibly important. He was concerned with helping us understand that we can ruin fasting when we make it for the wrong reasons. And so he was more concerned about that than giving us these specific instructions about fasting. But um, as you look through Scripture and you try to piece together some of the stories and reasons for fasting, here's um, what I have tried to come up with as a purpose for fasting. Um, fasting humbles us before God so that we can draw near to him. Fasting is about us being humbled. And it's interesting because um, when you look through Scripture, there, there really are no like straight up, here's how you fast, here's how often you fast. There, there, there isn't really a lot of straight teaching. So what you got to do is you got to read stories of when people fasted and kind of discern from the context. And almost every time um, people fast, it's because of something that's not right. It's not, it's not a celebratory activity. It's not something that is done um, with uh, excitement and even, even joy is not even really part of it. It's more of this part of I want to humble myself, lower myself before God. I want to get me out of the way so that God's presence and his voice can be more loudly heard. Um, 
there's uh, one instance where uh, Jonah in the Old Testament book of Jonah goes and he preaches to a city called Nineveh. And when the Ninevites hear his message and they repent of their sin, uh, the king institutes a time of fasting for the people and the animals, which, boy, if you ever had a cat, Boy, how great would that be? Your cat just would pester you to death if you didn't feed your cat, right? But he said, everybody fast. It was, a, again, a way of humbling yourself before God. God, I'm so sorry of the sin. I'm so sorry. It's a way to get out of the way, lower yourself as you sought God's forgiveness. Um, in one instance, Jesus speaks of fasting almost as the opposite of feasting, which I get it. It, it really is in, that, in, the, in the sense of you're shoveling food down and you're not having any food. It is that sense of an opposite, but he talks about it as the opposite of feasting is something done in a time of celebration and joy when all is well with the world. But fasting seems to be done when something about the world is off or not right. Uh, for instance, maybe you have sin in your life that you just can't conquer and it just keeps coming back and you say, I don't know why I keep doing this. I know it's wrong. I even don't want to do it, but I, keep, I can't get rid of it. Fasting might be a way to humble yourself before God and pray and, and seek God's help. God, please help me get past this. Help me overcome this sin that I can't seem to get rid of. Um, other times you see people fasting is when they've gone through or been around some tragedy or they see some injustice in the world and they will fast and lower themselves, humble themselves before God as a way of seeking his intervention in this moment. Lord, we are fasting for this situation. We're fasting and we're praying that you would intervene in this moment. Um, there's also several stories in the book of Acts where the entire church would fast as they tried to discern God's will and pick out the right elders to lead the church, or the right people to send out on a missionary journey. So it was a way of, again, getting yourself out of the way, not, getting, not giving yourself what you want so that you could hopefully clear things up and give God what he wants. So fasting is a way of humbling ourselves, not giving our bodies everything they want in order to hear what God might want. And it's hard for us in our modern context to, again, see any sort of a connection between not eating and spiritual benefits. Because, again, we've never tried it, most of us. Uh, I remember a few years ago, there used to be a, a high school event called the 30-hour famine. Anybody remember 30-hour famine? Okay, um, basically, it would be an overnighter with high school and junior high students at the church, and everybody would, would get up in the morning and eat breakfast and then not eat until like a late lunch the next day. And so you have a bunch of whiny junior high and high school students that you're dealing with without any coffee, without any food. It was just, I mean, if you wanted to see the worst side of everyone, I, I don't know, I mean, I get the heart behind the event, but boy, it was a tough one to pull off with um, joy and serving God humbly. Um, but, but we used to do it, it was so hard. 30 hours, it felt like an eternity and it's amazing how you think, I could, you know, I'm, I have self-control. I can do this. No, you start dreaming. You start hallucinating about muffins and cookies and all kinds of stuff. It's amazing how quickly it happens because we're so spoiled. But again, not too long ago, historically, Christians had no problem understanding the connection between fasting and seeking God's help. All right, so that's kind of the why we do it. Now let's get into the how do we do it. Um, again, there isn't a lot of information given specifically on how to do it in Scripture. Um, and again, if you're like me, anytime somebody starts talking about, hey, maybe fasting is something you should do, my first thought is, how long are we talking? 
Because again, I don't want to do it. I don't want to try it. It, does, it doesn't even sound remotely appealing uh, to me. Uh, I think about food all the time. It's 95% of what I get excited about. And so, um, but there's no biblical mandate for how often or how long we should fast. The, the earliest documentation, there's a, an ancient document called the Didache um, that was written either in the early 2nd century or the late 1st century. So it's either written kind of with some of the older books of the New Testament or right after them. And it was written by um, church leaders to send out to uh, all the little churches with just some basic how-to-be-Christian information. And in there you have a, a thing about fasting where it says that Christians should fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Christians, and, and they might have been talking about, a, again, sunup to sundown fast. It doesn't say. Um, it would have something that they already understood, and they, so they didn't have to say it. Uh, so they didn't tell us that. Um, but it might have been a 24-hour fast. It might have been a sunup to sundown. We don't know. Um, there's examples in Scripture of three-day fasts, of seven-day fasts. We even have Moses, Elijah, or Moses Isaiah, and um, Jesus doing 40-day fasts. Again, it doesn't say you have to do that. So Breathe a sigh of relief. There's no command that Jesus says, do like I just did. Um, but it is important to note um, that, it was again, it's there. It's all the way through the pages of Scripture. You see it all the time. Um, I will say this just because I didn't know where to toss it in anywhere else. Um, fasting means no food, but you still drink water. You can go for a lot longer than you think without food, but you'll die real quick without water. So let's make sure we got that understanding out of the way. Um, um, there are a few examples in Scripture of somebody doing a complete fast of no food and no water, but those are the rare example. One was when uh, Paul, who was Saul, had his encounter with Jesus, and then he went blind, and he had three days. It says no food, no water. But um, again, no command says that we should do that. Um, so how do we do it? Here's my suggestion for you. Start small. Don't get in some like, I'm going to fast for 10 days because I love Jesus. Um, it's going to be rough. Okay, start small. Um, um, my guess is probably don't even do a day. Try skipping lunch and just start there. If you eat, finish your breakfast at 7 and you have a late dinner at 7, that's a 12-hour fast. Boom. You, that's, that's, kind, that's, that's a manageable thing, I think, for a lot of us. Um, uh, then maybe try skipping dinner one night. So you fast from lunch to breakfast the next day. That'll be around 18-ish hours, a little bit longer. Then maybe go for the full 24 hours, see how that goes. Um, another thing about fasting that's um, interesting is that it can be done individually or communally. Most of the fasting in the New Testament, it's not just somebody fasting by themselves. It's the whole church coming together to seek God as a family, to see what does God want us to do in this moment. Really cool, uh, kind of a spiritual coming together moment. Um, but it's important to note that when Jesus says, he gets on to people, fast in secret, He's dealing with the problem of people fasting like as a big look at me, show me moment. He's not saying it's wrong for other people to know that you're fasting. It's wrong to fast to be seen by other people. So fasting can be done individually or communally. And then probably the most important thing to know about fasting is that fasting always goes with prayer. Fasting and prayer are always coupled together, always. The time you spend not eating is time that you should spend in prayer, when you, you, you less, lessen the intake of food, but you increase the intake of your uh, time with God. It's a bigger uh, swap there. And so you should spend the time when you would be eating a meal, spend that time in prayer about whatever you're fasting for. If you're fasting because you're dealing with a sin, spend time praying, God, free me from this sin. 
If there's a tragedy and we're all do, or a couple of us or all of us are praying to see God show up in a moment, then spend that extra time praying, God, please show up in this moment. We beg you, show up in this way. Um, so I would say that if you don't increase the amount of time you spend praying while you're fasting, it's kind of a waste. That's the purpose of fasting. Again, to get, humble ourselves so that we can spend more time with God, more intimate time with God. So now that we've covered all this, I'm sure you guys are ready to just rush out of here and not eat lunch. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is going to be a hard one for us because we do not do it. This is the first time we do it. It's going to be like the first time we go to the gym, the first time you ever tried to start jogging. You had that New Year's resolution that one time, and then you got so sore you couldn't move the next day, and you never ran again. Like, it's going to be a little bit like that. It's not because we are, our bodies are spoiled. Our stomachs are mentally trained to grumble at certain hours of the day, and we are not used to saying no to that. But it is something that I think... At first, it'll be hard for us to even really recognize any extra benefit, spiritual benefit from it. But when we get, if we introduce it into a rhythm of life, it'll be something that isn't um, horribly, horribly miserable for us as, we, uh, as it might be at first. Um, because I firmly believe, like when we talked about confession last week, and I thought everyone's going to be like, nope, not doing that. Um, this is in the same category. Your initial response is going to be like, no, thank you. But this is one of those things that I really believe could add a new level of depth and power to our spiritual lives. I think we are suffering because we have erased this from our lives. Now, here's my fasting challenge for you. I've ended every week with a little challenge. My fasting challenge is to add fasting for any amount of time, even if you do like the I'm skipping lunch today type thing, into your weekly routine during the 40 days of Lent leading up to Easter. So any, if you want to do, I mean, if you want to do a, a full 24-hour fast every single week, Go for it. If you want to start small and just do a few hours and spend that time in a little bit added prayer and awareness of God's presence, do that too. Any amount of time. Again, there's no, you have to do it this way teaching in Scripture. We got we to gotta start small and figure out what works for us, but get the purpose right. And so, uh, yeah, I would say try doing some level of fasting once a week just to add it into the routine, kind of dip our toes in the water, so to speak. Um, again, now I, um, I do want to say, though, because... Um, well, let me say it. I understand there's going to be some people who, for medical reasons, cannot and should not do this. Okay? If you want to do this and you think you might have, if you're, like, for instance, if you're diabetic, that can be a big problem when you don't eat. Like, you'll be driving somewhere and then you'll just, like, keel over on your spouse. Like, that, you don't, we don't want that. Okay? So, we understand. For some reasons, you should not do it. Um, if you want to try it and you have an issue, maybe talk to your doctor. Okay, doesn't sound like a um, prescription ad all of a sudden. Like, okay, now I'm going to give you the 400 uh, side effects of fasting. Uh, um, but, uh, but I think, but again, I just want to, I don't want anybody to, I mean, I don't want to have to do a funeral this week because I didn't say something about fasting. Um, but I truly do believe, though, that it is time that we re-explored this long-forgotten practice of humbling ourselves before God so that we can draw closer to him with fasting. I think it's a beautiful practice um, that it'll be hard for us to discover the beauty of, but I think it'll be worth it if we do. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the time that we get to spend here uh, each and every week uh, talking about these spiritual practices as of late. Um, I thank you for this uh, time that we get to talk about fasting. It's a difficult one, a strange one for us because uh, we don't do it. I mean, 
the more I probably talked about this, the more we probably started dreaming of where we're going to lunch later. It, it's just a, a difficult thing, and our, our bodies will, will kind of want to rebel against it a little bit if we do this at first, but that is probably all the more reason why we should. And so I just pray, Father, that we would um, be okay with uh, trying out this practice, um, with, with, uh, that we would be eager to introduce this into the rhythm of our lives, because if there have been so many godly saints over the centuries who found fasting as an absolutely essential part of their walk with you, um, then that probably means that we are missing out by not doing it. And so, Father, I just pray that we would take the example of the many individuals in Scripture who understood that uh, there was times when we needed to humble ourselves before you through fasting to seek your uh, guidance, to seek your help, to seek your insight, to seek your power. Um, And so, Father, give us um, an understanding that um, though this might be difficult, it's very worth it. Um, So help us, Father, as we move forward. And for those of us that are going to start trying this um, in the coming weeks and months, I just pray that you would give us some endurance, some fortitude uh, to stick to it because it might be one of those things that I I suspect we are going to find more uh, struggle with than joy in the beginning. So thank you, Father, for this time, and thank you for these difficult lessons. Um, I'm thankful that we don't forget this, that this doesn't get lost to history, but we can still remember the beauty of fasting um, so that it can be a part of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.